Welcome to Big Time Adulting, the podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Murray, and I'm here to take it deep with you on adulthood, womanhood, motherhood, and whatever other things end in hood that we can think of. It's going to be real, it's going to be honest, and we are going to laugh until a little pee comes out. If you've been looking to find a podcast to relate to as a woman and a mom, and you're kind of awesome, which you definitely are, subscribe now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. It's really been a long time since I've recorded a podcast episode, and so I'm just trying to get back into the swing of things, you know, dust off these rusty old vocal cords and start recording podcasts again. So to kick things off here, I've got um, a guest who I'm really interested in speaking with. I found her on Instagram. Her name is Erin Holt, and she runs a page called The Functional Nutritionist, and that's functional with a K. So just a little bit about Erin before we get started. Erin is a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist with a feisty attitude, and over a decade of clinical experience, she blends evidence-based practices, functional lab testing, energy medicine, boundary setting, and humor for a unique and customized approach to women's health. So she dives deep with women to get to the root cause of their health issues and finally get answers to all of our mystery symptoms that we're experiencing constantly. In addition to running multiple online nutrition and functional medicine programs, Erin's also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, which is a 14-month practitioner training and mentorship helping nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies if you are looking to get into this field. Um, and you can also find Erin on her weekly podcast show called the Functional with a K Nutrition Podcast. So Erin, thanks for coming today. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful of a introduction. <laughs> I mean, it's very informative. Um, I appreciate, I'm just mostly excited about this because I appreciate that you say my name in the correct way, which is the way that we say it in New England, which is Erin. Like my family's from Massachusetts. So it's like a hard R. Yes. And, um, instead of like an Erin. Yeah. It drives my husband bonkers when people call me Erin. (laughs) Is your husband from New Hampshire or Massachusetts? Uh, He's from the gate city, Nashua, New Hampshire. Oh, I didn't, I never heard that. Now you know. Now I know. It's the claim to fame. Live free or die. That's right. So I'm super excited to chat with you today because I feel like as I am aging here, I just rounded the 40 corner last July and like shit's changing with Mm -hmm. my body and my hormones and all of that. I'm all about what you kind of talk of your methodologies and, um, before we kind of dive into that, I just wanted to ask you like a little bit more of your background, how you got started on all of this and like what propelled you into, because on your page, I know you're um, pretty open and uh, discuss that you started off like having a, an, an eating disorder as a younger woman. Yeah. And I, you know, I always want to kind of pre-frame what I'm about to say, because it can sound a little bit like a nonchalant or even like cavalier the way I dis- discuss eating disorders, but I'm so far into recovery and remission that I have a lot of distance between the behavior and the mentality and where I'm at now. And I know that that's not true for everybody. So um, I'm at a place where I can talk about it very like 
matter of fact. That wasn't always the case because so much of it is cloaked in shame and hiding. Um, so it can be very, very challenging for people to talk about that. So I just want to throw that out there in case anybody is currently struggling. But yeah, I was I went to school for nutrition and dietetics because I wanted to essentially fix myself. I was very much so looking at myself through the lens of I am a problem that needs to be fixed. And I think as women, a lot of us are kind of cultured to to look at our bodies that way. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's all wrong. It's incorrect. It's broken. How do I fix this? And that's what drove me to get into the field of nutrition. I was looking for a solution to the problem that was me. And I didn't find it, unfortunately, through school. Um, what I had to do was understand that the eating disorder itself was really more of like a mental health issue. And it was a way that I could figure out how to handle my life Um how to control certain aspects of myself um, because I didn't really feel like I had a tremendous amount of control over a lot. That really led, that kind of got me into this whole career. Uh, But unfortunately, food wasn't the answer. You know, like food was like, was not the exit strategy for healing my eating disorder. It was really more of like a, of a mental health game. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I always am honestly like very curious about that stuff with women who have been through this. And I think like on many levels, like all of us experience a little bit of an eating disorder to a degree because of the amount of like thought and emphasis placed on our bodies in society, right? So we're kind of constantly forced to examine what we look like and what our bodies are like. And I know that's different in terms of like a true eating disorder where, you know, there's a control aspect of it that doesn't necessarily have to do fully with body image all the time. Like for mothers with daughters, you know, like it just, I'm always very conscious of like how to present things around food and the body to my daughter? Like, what are your insights on that? I mean, that's a loaded question. I have an eight-year-old daughter for context. And obviously it's a big, a big concern of mine. Um, You know, the vast majority of women have the, I hate my body thought every single day, the majority of women and eating disorders are just popping up like even more younger and younger and younger. Um, and so it's, it's a legitimate concern. I would say I've been working with women for 12 years. I've worked with thousands of women and I would say the vast majority has some type of disordered eating, whether it's not, a you know, it's not always a diagnosed eating disorder, but some type of disorder or preoccupation with food and how food is going to impact their aesthetics which creates a tremendous a lot of uh, amount of stress and pressure. But as far as my kiddo, I, it's really about open dialogue, open conversation. And w- there's a lot, since she was young, 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 it's a lot of like your body, your choice. So, so I'm always asking her and deferring back to her, like, what do you want to do with your body? So she has, she's in third grade. She's only lost four teeth. So all of her top teeth are like little baby chiclets. only kid in her class, you know? So finally I was like, should we do something about this? Like take her to the dentist? I don't know. And the dentist was like, we could pull it out now, or we could let her wiggle it out for the next four weeks and see what happens. And the dentist, the doctor's looking at me, like, what should, 
which, what do you want to do, mom? And I looked directly at my daughter and I was like, this is your body. This is your decision. Like little micro moments like that to bring her sort of sense of self back to her because that is the issue with food is that we are constantly adult women, you know, women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s are seeking permission outside of ourselves on what to eat. We're looking to the external authority figures, whether that's like an Instagram, you know, guru or, you know, like somebody who writes a blog post or whatever, being like, how should I eat? Give me permission on what to eat. I've run nutrition programs for so many years. And I remember being in a group where a woman who was like mid fifties, asked permission for putting a splash of cream in her coffee. And I'm like, how did we get so far off baseline that a woman is like literally asking, may I please, may I please uh, have one (laughs) teaspoon of cream in my coffee? I'm like, why are we doing this? And so it's not a, it's not the necessarily the way that I interface with my daughter as it relates to food, just more so like teaching her how to trust herself and discern the information and the data that she needs from within. Yeah, that's a good um, way to go about it. I think it's like you, you are captain of your ship, right? A hundred percent. So that's always like something I just, I, I didn't have that planned to ask you, but it just popped up in my mind because I just, I think about it with my daughter a lot and how to avoid that. And she just, she loves food, loves to eat. Like she loves healthy food. She loves some junk food. She loves it all. And I love that she has like a, an amazing palate, but I also want her to be like aware of health and, you know, portions and all of these things. And, um, like, I don't talk about really food or body with her very often because I just, I steer clear of it because it feels like such, I'm, it's something I'm like afraid to talk about because I don't, I'm so desperate not to create any complex for her. There are certain conversations that I'll shut down, like body stuff. Like I don't, I have never allowed anybody to talk about, you know, so you think about like the old guard, like my mother-in-law, even my mother, my, my aunts, grandmothers, things like that. They, they are very body centric. So the compliments that they might give are body related are like, oh, you look good or about food and body, because that's kind of the way that they came up. And we understand that is pretty destructive. And so I've always shut those conversations down, even if it makes the other person uncomfortable. I'm of the belief system that adults can moderate their own emotions and manage their own emotions. And it's my responsibility to kind of protect my kiddo, even at, you know, if it makes others uncomfortable. So I've always shut down those conversations. But as it relates to food, there's like this kind of concern that people have asked because we, you know, we eat well in my house, well-being sort of like, what does that even mean? We eat a whole foods diet in my house. Yeah. Yeah. And people ask like, are you concerned that by only feeding your child like whole foods, then you're creating the situation for an eating disorder? And I'm like, categorically no, like not even a little bit. I'm a kid of like the eighties and the nineties. I was eating like gushers, you know? And so giving them carte blanche to eat whatever they want, isn't always the recipe for not an eating disorder, right? It's really more about, I think how we talk about our bodies, how we, how we experience our bodies, um, in that like agency of self, um, has been my, my perspective, my understanding. Yeah. That seems very practical. 
And I think it's worked out well so far. I mean, check in in a couple of years and we can have this conversation yeah. again. Like I fucked it all up. Yeah. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. <laughs> all just trying our best out here. That's right. Um, so I guess uh, the other parts moving on from like the kids stuff, but more on to like the women in our, our age group, which is what I really wanted to talk to you about today also. So you talk a lot about like, how proper nutrition really heals the body sort of inside out in terms of like hormonal balance, gut health, autoimmune issues. So I want, I want you to like, just maybe give like, I mean, this is crazy to say like a brief overview of that sort of concept. And then I want to talk like a lot more, a little bit about hormones. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe we'll, we'll take it from the hormone lens. It's um, so food matters. We'll, We'll start there food matters. There's a lot of different systems in the body that run off of nutrients. And where do we derive nutrients? We derive it from food. So food is a biggie. um, And how we eat can really impact our overall physiology. It can impact our brain health. It can impact our endocrine system. That's what builds out hormones. It can impact our, you know, obviously our digestive system, our immune system. So our the nutrients that we consume really drive a lot of the processes in the body. So it's a, it's a big deal. It's one piece of the pie. It's not the whole piece of the pie. You know, it's not just because I've worked with a lot of, um, my mentor would call them perfect performers. So these are people that are eating like exactly as they should, right? Doing all the right things, their diets on point and yet they still have a slew of health issues. And so we have to sometimes dig a little bit deeper than just the food, but food is one of the foundations. And so we really have to get those foundations in place um, in order to kind of like build a a really sturdy health house. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And and I am interested in that part like that you're speaking about because um, what you just said in terms of someone who eats like a perfect diet, and I by no means eat a perfect diet. I'm like an 80-20 type person. During the week, I keep it like, I say keep it tight, but what I mean is I eat like basically all whole foods and I try to get, you know, my macros correct and that kind of thing as much as possible. Like I'm not psycho about it at all or like, I don't, I'm not like measuring food or anything, but it's like I eye it out. You know, I know this amount of protein and and cut out refined carbohydrates and sugars and stuff like that processed stuff. But at this point in my life, I'm probably eating the healthiest that I ever have because I feel like it's important for my body as I'm aging to give it the fuel that it needs to keep going for as long as I can. But I also am experiencing like these pretty massive hormonal swings now, which I never have before, which I know is a function of age. But um I just wanted to get your take on that, like how, you know, your mental health plays into that with um, maybe stress and anxiety and, you know, how to find balance in life. Like what's your method? You're asking me for how to find balance in life. <laughs> give me give the me secret to the life, Erin. Give me two minutes. Yeah. I'll rip this bandaid right yeah. off. Um, well, I think what you're saying, so hormones are getting their time in the sun, which I'm super stoked about, female hormones, because female hormones are very different than male hormones. Men tend to run on a 24-hour cycle, whereas females tend to run on a 28-day cycle, give or take. So like really, really different. And yet so much of the research on 
hormones has been on men, male physiology. I mean, just in terms of medical literature, most research is easier. It's just easier because, you know, women change, we fluctuate by design and men don't really, they're kind of like steady Eddie. So it's easier to research uh, male physiology. And now we are- We do this experiment on the control group. Right. <laughs> but then that leaves like, you know, half the population be like, uh, yeah. Mueller, you know, like help. So there is a bit of a, of a sea change happening where we're acknowledging that women, physi- women's physiology is a bit different. So bless up to that, you know, but what we have to understand. So, so now that it's kind of like getting its time in the sun, there's more emphasis and focus on that. Like a lot of people will ask, how do I balance my hormones? And what we have to understand, there's like no reset button for hormones. There's no like button that you push that just kind of changes everything. There's no like supplement. There's no pill. There's no protocol. There's no powder that you can take to balance your hormones. I am not a musician, but like this is the analogy that I would use. It's kind of like an orchestra, right? And so if you think about it, they're like the band kind of has to play together in order to have a harmonious sound. There's probably like a maestro listening that's like, she doesn't know what, what she's talking about. <laughs> but this is like how I envision it in my brain is like they everything works together. And that's really hormones. Like hormones exist in context with each other. And so it's not as simple as saying like, oh, I have low testosterone. What do I take for that? Or, oh, my estrogen's really high. What do I do for that? It's kind of like building out the foundation so that they can all play nice together. And it's overwhelming. It's very overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be because we just want to kind of think about the the foundational stuff. And brain, uh, the brain is like where all hormone function or um, communication begins. It all starts at the level of the brain. So what you were talking about with stress and anxiety, like that is a huge key player in hormone health. Nutrition is a big one because we need nutrients to build out hormones. We need nutrients to clear hormones out and we can get into the, some of the specifics of that as well. But we also need our brain to be communicating appropriate messages to our body. One of the biggest, most common hormone imbalances is um, estrogen dominance is what it's called. And it might be somebody has too much estrogen. It might be because somebody has too low progesterone. It might be that the the ratio is just off because it's not working in that like symphony-like fashion. And this is super duper common. Say this one more time what this is referred to as estrogen estrogen dominance. So estrogen dominance can be, you are making too much estrogen. Your estrogen levels are too high. Either your body's overproducing it, or you're getting a tremendous amount of what's known as xenoestrogens. These are synthetic compounds in the environment that mimic estrogen in our body. We find them in plasticizers or like cleaning supplies or um, synthetic fragrance, just things that are in our environment. So that's one of the ways we can have estrogen dominance, too much estrogen. Another way is that our bodies are not effectively clearing estrogen out of our body. We have like, it's kind of like we need to like use it and then lose it with hormones. Our bodies, our livers treat hormones like toxins. So it, once we're done with it, it wants to like get it out of our body. So we might have an issue with clearing estrogen out of our body. And the third reason we might have estrogen dominance is because the ratio of estrogen to progesterone is off. So I want to talk about why, because this is so, so common, but 
you know you have estrogen dominance if, I'll give some symptoms, if you have really heavy periods, like super heavy bleeds. I'll have people that be like, I can't leave the house the first day of my period because I'm like just soaking through tampons, soaking through pads. Um, If you have tender breasts, like really tender breasts or fibrocystic breasts, if you have um, like bloating or water retention, this can all be signs of estrogen dominance. Um, but really, estrogen is kind of like a build hormone. So if you have anything that 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 builds, so it's like heavy bleeds, clotting with your blood, um, really gnarly uh, PMS symptoms, like right before you menstruate, all of those can be signs of estrogen dominance. So that progesterone piece is a biggie. Progesterone is like a feel-good hormone. It makes us, it's like anti-anxiety. It makes us feel good. It's very calming. It helps us sleep, like all the things that we want, you know, especially before our period. So if we're feeling kind of ragey, cagey, irritable, we're having those heavy bleeds, are getting wicked bad cramping, that can be a sign that your progesterone might be too low. Mm-hmm. And this is where we have to kind of swim upstream and ask why, because this isn't a supplement game. Potentially you're not in that scenario. Potentially you're not overproducing estrogen, but you're underproducing progesterone. A hundred percent. You can have estrogen dominance and have low estrogen. So it's really about that. That's like the, um, the orchestra, right? It's, It's about like how they're playing together are they in balance or are they out of balance? Hormones like to be in balance. So we need a blood test or something like this to figure out what the deal is. My preferred way to test hormones. So you can go off of symptoms. If you are like, oh, that kind of sounds like me. That's, that could be part of what's going on. My favorite way to test for hormones is through uh, dried urine actually, um, because it just gives us a lot more information about what the hormones are actually doing, how we're clearing them out of the body or not. Um, If you do a blood test, it's not irrelevant information. You just want to make sure that you're testing at the exact right time in your cycle, depending on what you're testing for, because those hormones do go up and down throughout the throughout the month. So you just want to kind of make sure you're getting a, you know, a snapshot of like what you're actually looking for. That's the that's the kind of like the caveat with hormone testing is whoever's ordering the test needs to know when to do it. Right. Okay. But with that progesterone piece. Yes. The only way that we make progesterone is through ovulation. And if we are having sort of an unsuccessful ovulation, you know, most people aren't tracking their ovulation unless they're trying to actively get pregnant or not get pregnant. So not all of us are super attuned to what our body's doing on a monthly basis, especially if we're on the pill, we're not ovulating. If we're coming off of the pill, we might be out of uh, out of tune with what our body's like doing its normal cadence. But if we're not ovulating, then we're not producing progesterone. So automatically we're going to be in that estrogen dominant state. And, and so- went at like perimenopause, menopause, all, all, all through those years, basically. Well, so not ovulating is not always a perimenopause situation. It can be, but we can be like in prime time menstruating age and still have unsuccessful ovulation. And so we have to ask why, if the body isn't ovulating, if we're not producing progesterone, it's because the body isn't ovulating. If the body isn't ovulating, why? And our female brains, in order to ovulate, because that's how we produce the next generation, it has to feel safe enough to actually do that. And so there are multiple ways that our brains will pick up on safety cues. 
One of them is through diet. It's through eating an appropriate amount of, fu of fuel. So this is why when somebody's on like the perpetual quest for leanness, always on a diet, overtraining, you know, over-exercising, under-fueling, that old chestnut, that's why they it can either shut down menstruation where they're not, they're just, they just lose their cycle or shut down ovulation. Yeah. And so that seems like it's, that's a pretty extreme scenario. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's more not as uh, infrequent as it's um, not infrequent. It's ex definitely extreme because your brain yeah. is like, oh my God, we're in survival mode. Shut it all down. Put yeah. all these resources into immediate survival rather than like building the next generation. Because yeah. our brain is perceiving like a real threat to survival. It's not going to want to procreate. But it's really quite common, unfortunately. I see it like often enough. Uh, not so much the missed cycle. I, I see that a fair amount, like where people just stop bleeding altogether or they have irregular cycles um, or they have like long cycles or short cycles. But that missed ovulation is is a biggie or low progesterone is a real, real big one. And so this is where we want to swim upstream and really pay attention to any signs. Like what, what signals is the brain getting? Is it getting like we're safe here, everything's good? Or is it just getting stress after stress after stress after stress? Like I'm running my body into the ground. I'm not really sleeping that well. I've got like a super intense job. And on top of that, I'm like dieting, I'm doing some intermittent fasting, and I'm doing high intensity, high intensity interval training. The other thing that sends signals of safety to your body is blood sugar regulation. Yes. I've, this is one of the things that like really sparked my interest in like all of what you say, because it's like, that's these trends that pop up that people like adhere to very quickly because of weight loss, you know, benefits that they think that they're getting are actually doing them no favors. Right. When we look at health through the lens of leanness and only leanness, how do I get thin? How do I get lean? How do I lose weight? Then we actually end up forfeiting our health. And that's yeah. kind of the, that's kind of the rub. That's the kick in the dick. Yeah. My friends would say. Uh, it's not great. You know, it's not, we're like really robbing Peter to pay Paul essentially. Uh, but that blood sugar re regulation is key. It's when our blood sugar is on a roller coaster, when we hit hypoglycemia, uh, hypoglycemia or low blood sugar pass patches, it actually calls on our stress chemicals like cortisol to raise blood sugar back up because the brain needs a steady state of glucose. Unless you're like actively in ketosis, which most people aren't, your brain needs a steady source of glucose coming in all day long or else it's going to die. So it's come hell or high water, it's going to get that glucose. But if you're not feeding it, if it's not getting glucose through your diet, it's going to trigger a stress response and start breaking down, you know, your own body's material to get it. And so, so once in a blue moon, totally fine. It's like awesome that we have these mechanisms in our body that help us from not dying, right? Awesome. But if this is happening over and over and over again, because you're skipping meals or you're intermittent fasting or you're under eating, then now you have an issue where you're asking cortisol, your stress hormone, to do the job that food should be doing. And that that is, you know, no way to balance your hormones. Yeah, totally. It's like maybe you look skinny, but your body is not okay. And you're probably suffering from crazy PMS or whatever symptoms and things like that. Now, I 
have recently started to have more hormonal swings, like um, in the last couple of years, I started taking um, an evening primrose oil and I like it's it's a gel cap though like it's not an actual oil whatever it's it's a vitamin form you probably know that but I don't know if everybody knows that's why I said that but I I find it really has helped me um feel more even because I do I I don't skip meals I you know I'm constantly I'm a healthy eater and uh that sort of thing but I don't try to restrict too much. Like I need, I, I'm always thinking about what I'm going to eat next. What about what is your, so evening primrose oil is awesome. Um, not appropriate for necessarily like everybody. It can't hurt to try. It's just, it's it's a, um, high levels of GLA, um, which is a, a fatty acid that can be kind of hard to come by. You can get it in borage oil, hemp oil, and like EPO. And that's kind of about it for like heavy hitting dietary sources. But it's one of those, um, it's, it's an essential fatty acid that can really be helpful for overall hormone balance is, is a kind of like a basic way to put it. So that's awesome because you know, that that's like a really supportive therapeutic intervention, but I would also like, how's your stress, you know, asking this to a mom of three. Yeah. And my anxiety, I'm really open about that, like health anxiety. And uh, I always have, I've always had it even before my son was sick and stuff. So I I don't know, it's, but there have been times like since his uh, cancer PTSD type of like really bad health anxiety, not even directed at him all the time, but like everybody who's like very close to me within um, my family, that kind of thing, like immediate family. I worry about a lot, but I've gotten also a lot better about that. But I think just generally I run a little bit like high strung that way and anxious about things. It's just my, my nature. So it could definitely be affecting my cycle and my, my PMS. And, and I think it's gotten definitely worse since having kids, like everything's higher stakes, all of that. So I, I'd love to talk about this because obviously this is a situation that's super unique to you, right. but a lot of people that I work with, a lot of women have this hypervigilance about health and mm-hmm. it can often happen if, you know, a loved one struggled with a health, like a significant health scare, obviously, but sometimes it's kind of like, um, I call it the medical gaslighting of the American woman. Cause we'll go to our physicians and we'll say like, Hey, something's off here. Something's wrong. Like, I don't feel great. And they're like, eh, labs look normal. I think you're totally fine. You're like dragging limbs, you know, like an eyeball is like hanging out. You're like, I think, I think something's really wrong here. Yeah. You're, like, you, you're good. You're good. You do that enough times. It can really create a uh, a PTSD-like response. And this is quite common. And so what happens, whether somebody's been dealing with health issues ongoing or mystery symptoms or like chronic stuff, like chronic GI stuff, cr- chronic hormonal stuff, it creates this hypervigilance in the brain. And it's like you're constantly scanning the environment for the wrong thing. From a neuroscience uh, perspective. That's what our brains are really good at doing anyway, to ensure survival. Like we're right. more attuned to the, the, the wrong thing, the threat to survival. 
Yeah, because like we have to be on lookout to survive, right? Um, and so it kind of like supercharges this part of your brain where the amygdala, which is our fear center, yep. just gets like really hyper attuned to look for the wrong things. And so people can do this with their own physiology, like their own body symptoms, like they're scanning, 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 you know, look at the baby, look at the baby, look at the baby, scanning the body all the time. If you look, hard enough and long enough, you're going to find stuff, you know? And so what that does is it activates the part of the brain that's actually responsible for communicating out to your hormones. So the amygdala rings the alarm bell and then it uh, lights up the HPA axis. So we have an HPA axis, an HPT axis, and an HPO axis. HP stands for hypothalamus pituitary. They're both things in the brain. And then the rest of the initials, A for adrenals, T for thyroid, O for ovaries. So basically, if you have this like propensity to, if you have like a history of trauma, if you have PTSD-like stuff in the brain that can absolutely have this downstream effect that impacts your hormones. And so that's why like the hormone conversation can be so multifaceted and so complex Mm because it's not always as simple as, well, just like tell me what I need to eat to balance my hormones. We really have to swim upstream and pay attention to the signals that your endocrine system is getting. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And I think it's like such an underplayed, undervalued part of the equation for all of us. Like, let's get the quicker fix, you know, like, let's get like, tell me what I can eat so that I feel great. Like when my period comes next month, you know, like, but that's like, it might be, wow, I really need to examine the way that this stress in my life, this anxiety in my life has affected my overall system. And like, chill the fuck out for a little while, you know, like focus on things that don't make you anxious or, you know, cure, like curing that root cause. And And it's like, obviously like way easier said than done, but I think awareness is such like a huge step in the right direction. If we can be aware of our own patterns and are aware of our own tendencies, then like that is the first step to change. Oftentimes it requires us like getting support to help, help make those changes. Um, but I, I just kind of like want to shine a light on that, that whole part of it a little bit, because I think it is very, like you said, very overlooked aspect. Yeah, I think it's overlooked. And then I think also people might feel like overwhelmed by, you know, trying to like, there's in a lot of our lives, like as moms, like with just really busy lives with kids, jobs, homes, etc, everything that we all the shit we deal with on a day to day basis, it almost feels like I can't eliminate this stress. You know, like this is just my life right now or that kind of thing. And so I feel like it's it's also kind of important to think of this as like, this isn't just like an end goal that you're trying to reach. It's just like an ongoing process, like start slow, do a little something every day or whatever. It's not like you have to do a complete overhaul of your life right away. Because the, the idea of that is like also fucking stressful. Yeah. The answer to like stress management is like oftentimes even more stressful than the original stressor. And I I like to say to people, like the goal is not no stress ever. If you have no stress ever, you're probably dead. I mean, that's not the goal. (laughs) The goal is, do I have tools in my tool bag to recalibrate myself back to homeostasis when I hit a stressful patch? Like, is there, do I have things to do? And I think 
as women, as mothers, we're really good at putting things off of our plate, not so great at putting, taking things off of our plate. And we have to figure out a balance of the two. I refer to like, uh, stress as a bathtub. And like, you know, if you have the faucet coming in, like the faucet with the water filling up the bathtub, and then you have the drain, a lot of us will focus on the drain. So it's like, I'm going to take an Epsom salt bath, or I'm going to go to yoga, or I'm going to meditate, or I'm going to like put more things on my to-do list to alleviate this stress. And I'm not knocking that. Like, that's wonderful. That's awesome. I am a meditator. I go out in nature. I do so many things to kind of caretake my stress response. But what we really need to do is take a look at the faucet and be like, is there a way to turn off the faucet or to slow the trickle? And that's the real work. That's the hard stuff. And it's like, we are, if you think about like the best compliment you could pay a mother is that like, she was so selfless. And it's so there's like this cultural conditioning that's like, in order to be a good mom, you have to kind of lose yourself in the process. And that's where I'm like, it's like the worst. It's just, I'm just like, it's like a no for me dog with that. Like I can't, I can't, I had a kind of a funky thing. I had pretty much like the reverse situation that you did where when my daughter was one, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition and they were like, this could kill you. So I had to kind of figure out how to make my self a priority in my own life and do it with a one-year-old. So that changed the game for me. And I say in my house, I call it like radical momming because in my household, mom having her own needs is not like a crazy concept. Like everyone gets on board with the fact that like, hey, I exist. I'm a human too. I've got needs. And just like I rally around your needs and your needs, I expect you guys to rally around mine as well. You know, and so it's a little bit of a different approach, but because of the experience I had, I kind of had to like dig my heels and be like, nope, nope, my needs matter here too. And so that's a lot of the work that I end up doing with with moms is to kind of convince themselves, like, hey, your needs matter. Your yeah, health good for matters. you because I think a lot of us are just like keeping on keeping on until we like hit a wall where it's like an emergency where we're being like told we literally can't keep going at the pace that we're all trying to keep, right? And like to have the the patience and the foresight to do it before the emergency occurs would be a real gift. You know, it's, and it's just not easy, but it takes, it takes your own self-control, like stop yourself from fucking doing everything all the time for everyone else and putting yourself aside. You know, one thing that I I remember when I, when my daughter was a baby is like, I would catch and My husband's like awesome. He's, you know, he is, he's a good dude, super supportive, not, You know, we're at the age now where we're starting to like see our 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 friends and their spouses and being like, I don't want your laugh. Like, <laughs> like I'm super stoked with my husband. He's very supportive. But I would catch myself like asking him for permission to like go to yoga class. Like, hey, do you mind if I just like go out and take care of myself for for an hour? And like that wasn't coming from him. That was like coming from me. Totally. And I had to just be like, what? like, no, no more permission seeking to take care of myself. Like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to like pee on my territory. I'm going to stake my claim and I'm just going to do it. And that was one little tiny non-overwhelming micro pivot that I made in my life that paid really big dividends. 
Yeah, I think the other part, like, this is just, like, sort of semantics in a way, too. But, like, I think that men don't do that um, as frequently as for permission for the things that they're going to do or whatever. It's more like, I'm going to play golf on Saturday with so-and-so. And then women get so pissed off. Like, no, what? You're just, like, I actually think sometimes if men were just, like, is it okay with you if I play golf on Saturday? There would be a completely different response, right? So sometimes I feel like it's not just, like, not asking for permission. Like, I don't mind saying like, Hey, is this okay by you? If I take this time to go do this for myself or whatever. So I know my husband's going to say yes. I'll, similarly, he's a fucking awesome dude. And like, uh, he couldn't be any better and more helpful at the times where he's around and able to, which is what I, he should, you know, like I'm, I'm not applauding him for doing his job. <laughs> doing his role. Yeah. Being, being a co-parent. Um, but that being said, like, I appreciate when he asks me if it's okay, if, if he's going to go do something. And, um, so I give him like that same thing, but I, I think it's just more the mutual, like the mutual nature of that with men and women, with mothers and fathers that is like, has been probably more of the missing piece, you know? Yeah. Like reciprocity is like the key to, I think any good relationship, whether it's yeah. like, you know, a client relationship or a marriage or a friendship. It's like, you, and it's not like a tip for tap, but just more of like an energetic, like I, I see you, I appreciate you. And like, there's like a flow back and forth. I think that that is, that's money. And it, I would say watch for resentment. I think sometimes we see th that we see somebody doing something that we wish we could do and it can like foster a little bit of resentment. And I, I think a lot of us, this might be like a an overstatement, but I think a lot of us come from women that kind of carry around this like martyr complex where it's like, I do everything for everybody. I sacrifice everything for, for everybody because that's what they were like taught to do. And it can really be a breeding ground for resentment. And I'm somebody who can, I feel resentment like often. So that's kind of like a, like a gauge for me to be like, Hey, like, what's going on here? And am I just frustrated that's because somebody else is giving themselves permission to do something that I really wish I could do? Yeah. And there's a certain amount of shit that you like that has to be done at the end of the day, right? Like for your family or whatever that you don't necessarily want to do. You've got to do these things. But I feel like if you're constantly putting yourself aside to do more or things that you don't really want to do that don't serve you at all, or they, then they don't really serve anyone, right? Like taking on that, like, like you just said, like, stop the fucking faucet. Like, don't take on that extra role in the school that you don't really have the bandwidth for because you think it, you know, matters for some silly reason. Like you'll do that when you have time, maybe when you don't have a toddler anymore or something like that, when, when the time is right for you or, or maybe you won't ever do it. Maybe that's just not your, your deal, but just like, I get, I talk, I think about this stuff all the time because I just, I feel like there is a certain amount of shit that we do have to deal with. You know, you don't have to pile on. Like it's the pile on and it, you know, it, I think it's so many of us are over functioners because, you know, I talk a lot about boundaries, like setting boundaries as a way to balance your hormones. And at, you know, every, like every mom everywhere is like, I'm really bad at setting boundaries. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Especially if you have received love from doing the most, from being the most to the most people. And this starts back, like this can go all the way back to family of origin, like starting in childhood. Like there, you might've received messaging that like, if I can quiet down my needs and alleviate other people's suffering and, and, and manage other people's needs, then 
then I have value. Then they won't leave me. I'm indispensable. And so we can carry this through into adulthood. And this is like, you know, there's oftentimes like the the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back when we're just like over-functioning and over-functioning. So like if, you know, setting boundaries oftentimes goes against or just, you know, saying no, um, saying no, thank you. I'm at my, I am at my max capacity. Like I would like to leave some room on my plate saying no, drawing a line. Um, oftentimes flies in the face of the identity that we've kind of created for ourselves. And that's where it can get really, really tricky and challenging. You know, it's a great idea. It's a very romantic idea to be like, oh, I'm just going to say no when I'm full. And in in reality, in practice, it's like so much more challenging than that. Yeah. I think it's hard for women too, in the midst of like this hustle culture, right? So it's like, yeah, like, dude, I can do this. I can take on more. I'll do all like all these things. And then, but these, these are the, like the hustle culture, maybe stemming from like a more male point of view and women feeling the need to keep up in that way, societally, professionally, career wise, but still doing fucking everything on the home front, you know? So, um, because that part of it is shifting, I think to more of like a, more of a domestically divided labor front, but it's not, it's not there really a hundred percent. You know, it's, I think the women's, the mother's mental load is obviously something that's talked about for a reason, you know? So in summary, this is why our hormones are fucked. So from your professional point of view, like what are some of the, well, we've, we've already sort of said like there are things that you can like subtract from your life to just like create more balance, obviously. Like, are there any specific rules of thumb that you go by in terms of like little things that we maybe add or subtract from our diets or lives or whatever? So I think we talked a lot about like how to subtract, like, you know, a lot of stuff, right? So more specifically, like boots on the ground, physical body, how do we support the physical body? Balancing the blood sugar is really, really huge. So not skipping meals, not dramatically under eating, making sure you're eating to at least your caloric needs. Um, all of that is really important. Prioritizing an anti-inflammatory diet that really helps to support detoxification. Because like I said, with hormones, we have to clear them out of the body and mm-hmm. that that whole system can get a little jacked up. I appreciate the, the, the mentality of like, we don't need to detox. We've got a liver and kidneys that do it for us. I'm like, cool. I mean, definitely you don't need to buy like Kardashian tea that's going to make you shit your brains out. Definitely don't need to do that. But the world has changed. So maybe just having a liver was good enough 150 years ago, but now the liver has to deal with a lot more. So the more we can support it, the more we can effectively clear hormones out of the body. And there are just some foods that are really wonderful for detoxification. So like beets is a great one. Beets Mm. hits a number of different things. So the more beets you can eat, the better. Everyone's going to be like pooping red. Just don't freak out the next morning when there's, you know, your poop is red. Um, I always have to remind myself of that cruciferous veggies, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. The more of that you eat, the better. Onions, garlics, leeks, shallots, all of these are really wonderful to help support the clearance of estrogen out of the body. Um, Fibers can do this. We have to poop estrogen out. We have to take our hormones all the way to the toilet. So making sure that we're pooping regularly at least once a day. Constipation can be really common with chronic stress. So we want to make sure that we're actually pooping. That's a, that's a biggie. And then, um, 
really looking at the way that you're moving your body. Movement is medicine, but like with anything, you know, we can overdo it. We can overdo it really, really pretty quickly. I love anything. Like if you can walk outside, awesome. You know, I live in the woods, so it's really easy for me to say that. If you can like walk in green spaces or blue spaces, do that. The more, the better. Um, If that's available to you, lifting, weight training is phenomenal for female hormones and female physiology. So lifting heavier weights um, can be great as long as you're not running yourself into the ground with it. But I love walking and weight training or like chef's kiss for female hormones. And these, these are things that, so these are things that are like, will really move the needle. Sleep is a big one. I know it's kind of like if you have little kiddos earmuffs right now, because I know you'll get there eventually. I promise it will happen. Um, but if you can get like between seven to nine hours of sleep every night, like that's, it's really hard to balance hormones without appropriate sleep. Uh, sleep impacts our insulin signaling and our, you know, just like a lot of different things happening in the body. So sleep is a big one. So if you can get like diet, movement, and sleep on lock, that's going to take you like 80% of the way. I just try to like, my have a motto and it's like, when I take care of me, everybody wins. And the more I believe that to be true, the more I see that as truth. And it's like, I don't want to show up to my family as like some crusty, old, resentful, salty, bitter, you know, person. So it's important that I'm doing at least one thing for myself every single day. You know, like, I think we can all agree that that's a worthy goal. Yeah, totally. And then, so on a, like another real talk moment here that I want to ask you, what is your take? Cause you know, I like to put my earrings on and have a couple pops over the weekends and stuff like that. How about alcohol? What do you, where do you fit into this? Like, do you partake in some, some alcohol and how do, do you feel I about all of that? Do I ever? So I'm going to say this with the backdrop of I do not struggle with alcohol addiction or any type of uh, substance abuse. That is not the case for everybody. I'm good. So what I'm about to say is through that lens. There's no redeeming qualities to drinking booze. It in terms of health. It's just, it's like a hard no. You're willingly and intentionally ingesting a toxin, okay? So once we've got that cleared out of the way, I'm like, but you know what also really matters to me? Joy, fun, socialization. And I hate to be like, I need to have a couple pops in order to like enjoy myself, but I've got social anxiety. And so- yeah. It helps me like un it like gets me a little loose. I'm you know, I'm not like getting blacked out every weekend, but like give me a glass of wine and like let me live, let me enjoy myself. That's kind of my stance on that. It I will say if you are somebody that struggles with estrogen, with high levels of estrogen, drinking is going to move the needle in the wrong direction for you. Uh, if you have any issues with like liver stuff, like we really want to like minimize that to the best of the, your ability. I'm not trying to glorify or glamorize drinking. Um, it, you have to kind of look at your own health goals and ask, is this in alignment? 
I lived my life doing everything very perfectly for fear of getting sick. And yeah. that, and so that included like every time I drank anything, I would like, I'm like, oh, this is going to contribute to my autoimmune disease. And I was like, this is no way to live. So what I actually needed to do to be healthier was to bring more in, uh, enjoyment into my life and yeah. be less restrictive with what I did. So this really worked, this system works for me, but you have to kind of run it through your own filters of like, what's my goal? What's my primary goal here? And is this bringing me closer or further away from that? Totally. Yeah, I know. And it is about like, basically everything you're saying, it just brings you back to the concept of like find balance in all of it, right? If where and and how you can, like, you got to have cake sometimes you got to have, you know, whatever a drink, if you want to have a drink on the weekends and, or whenever, I don't know what, like I, 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 when I, when my kids were like little, like toddlers locked up at home with my son being sick and then into COVID and stuff, I waited for five o'clock to have like a glass of wine. And I don't have like, I was never like, I'm going to have a bottle of wine tonight type of person there. But like, I mean, not that I don't ever drink a bottle of wine. I'll do that like on a weekend or a special occasion or something like that. Like, but I'm not like, it's Monday. I got to drink my bottle of wine. Um, Monday wine. But like I needed like a glass of wine at the end of the day was like, I was living for that for a period of time in my life when my kids were little. Now that my kids are older, we're busier. I'm not locked down all the time. I'm not like really kind of like losing my mind a little bit all day, every day. And just like looking for that, like turn point of the day where I will reward myself with like an adult moment of release. You know, I don't have, I don't need that now during the weeks, but that's why I said like on the weekends or whatever, I'm absolutely still enjoying, um, a few drinks. And it's like one of those things I think like you hear so much, uh, about that. Obviously there are no benefits to your body from drinking alcohol. It's like, it's bad for you. It's toxin, but the mental health part of like having fun, letting loose a little, saying a couple inappropriate, more inappropriate comments than maybe you would in a funny way. I don't know. I love it. I love it's, inappropriate comments. Yeah, it's like, it. you know, is it enhancing the, the, your experience or are you using it to check out from your life? You know, like that's kind of the, the, the way that I choose to think about it. And having said that, you know, my husband and I went out on a date night and I, to a wine bar and I had two glasses of wine. And the next day I was like, what the fuck? I felt I like I went out on a fucking party. Once in a while, yeah, it just like really creeps up on you, or maybe it's because we're getting older. I don't know. Well, I mean, it just say like, hey, my liver was like, it's a no for me, dog. Like, no, I was not prepared to handle this. Not today. Not today. Um, now, do you have a, a guilty pleasure? I hate that term because it like insinuates that even when if it's I feel pleasure. Like- even if it's not something that you ingest, maybe it's like a shitty TV show. Well, I just, just like, you know, fundamentally it's like insinuating that as a woman, if I receive pleasure, it should also come in with a sidecar of guilt. Mm. You know, like I feel like I'm doing something wrong by being pleasure, like having, like enjoying my life. But I will okay, say that- What's your that favorite thing that you don't want to admit? <laughs> Bravo Housewives. I fucking yeah, love yeah. them. I love them. I love them. I love them so much. <laughs> So last thing I need to ask you before I allow you to leave, um, which this has been such a fun conversation, by the way, I love your take on everything. Your delivery is great. You're so good at what you're doing here. And like, you're, you're, you're just got your material 
down so cold, which I love. Um, but I often will tell people to get themselves a snack because I just feel like it's like this one, this thing that I'm like, all right, calm down. Okay. Everything's fine. Get a snack. You know, like what's your favorite snack? Um, like when I put like my nutrition cap on, it's something with like a lot of protein, like an Epic bar, chicken sriracha Epic bar. But if I like want to like kind of be like a little dumpy. Chicken sriracha Epic bar? That's like a packaged bar? Yeah. They're, so the, the jerky bars, you haven't seen those? Oh, it's No. It's it's jerky. So it's just like protein. So that will get you out of like a low blood sugar spiral real yeah. fast. That would be like the the A plus way to go. But if I'm feeling like like dumpy and I want to like tend to my emotions through food, I always love to make chocolate pudding in my food processor with mm. avocado. So I'll use avocado, cacao powder, and like maybe like a sweet protein powder or maple syrup or dates or something like that. I make that all the time. It's my favorite, favorite. So the, both of those things sound to me like pretty healthy. They are healthy. I don't have a whole lot of wiggle room. My body doesn't allow a whole lot of wiggle room to like go buck wild with Mine my Mine really doesn't either. If I eat too many packaged or processed things, I'm a little bit fucked the next day. I just spent so long feeling so shitty that I'm just like, it's not, it doesn't feel worth it to me. You know, like I run a company, I've got shit to do. I've got lives to change and to help. Like I got to be on point. You know, nutrition is the way that I do that. My, um, where I fall off is with wine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. That's your me. That's your guilty pleasure. Whenever. That's my joy. That's yeah, it definitely is. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, coming to chat today. I loved getting to know you a little bit, and I would love to send more people your way if they're listening and they don't already follow you. You can find Erin on Insta at um, the Functional Nutritionist, functional with a K. Is it with their, their dots in there? Is it the dot functional? Yeah, it's the dot functional dot nutritionist. It's really good for SEO. Great. Yeah. <laughs> People spell it correctly all the time. <laughs> and which is your podcast, which is called the same thing on Apple. Yeah, Stop we're everywhere. I'm all everywhere. over the place. Everywhere. Yeah, we. I've been podcasting for almost, you know, for over five years now. So like, we're just like oh, everywhere. Wow. The functional yeah. nutrition podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. This was awesome. We'll talk to you soon, Erin. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're looking for any of the resources from the episode, you can check them out in show notes. Again, if you liked listening, I'd love it for you to subscribe. Until next time, peace out.